Yeah, you definitely don't want to deal with 400 hangry men. I mean, that's definitely not something you want to encounter. <laughs> well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 163. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Choi. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We are in session 10 of our What's Good Guided Study. And this week, we're talking about kindness on the heels of a discussion about excellence from our last conversation. Now we're getting into kindness and thinking all about how we can treat one another better. And I think one of the things we can all do better at is maybe being nicer to each other. And this is kind of a discussion about seeing opportunities to do good things for others. That's such a parenting phrase. Be nice. <laughs> I, say I say that way too much. Hey, just be nice to your sister, would you, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, no uh, doubt. You know, what we're talking about is is really a much bigger picture than what that surface statement might sound like, but it, it really is. It's about honor. It's about goodness and showing grace and this thing that God showed us called kindness. Well, and I think that really ties in nicely, especially the parenting angle, uh, into our conversation starter that we dropped not too many weeks ago. And that was called The Magic Word. This is what's good. The Magic Word. As our seemingly inevitable robotic uprising inches closer and closer, <laughs> some concerned engineers have started thinking about how we talk to our smart home devices. We've barked orders at Alexa for too long, expecting it to set timers, deliver the weather report, or order more toilet paper. But you'd never talk to a person like that, would you? To encourage a gentler approach to our automated assistance, did you know that there's a politeness mode? If Alexa hears a command without a please attached, you'll hear the response, what's the magic word? But should we really be kind to our technology? <laughs> Maybe that's a bit extreme, but as we continue to appreciate God's good virtues, let's see the value in constantly filling our hearts with his love in all areas of our life. Here's the big idea. God teaches us to appreciate kindness by pouring his unimaginable love and mercy into our lives. We wonder in awe at the kind of sacrificial love Christ showed as he laid down his life for us, leading us to lay down our lives for the brothers, 1 John 3.16. Though we were once enemies of God in our sins, we marvel at Jesus' mercy and willingness to suffer, even for us. Like a young child learns from their mom and dad's words and actions, we're educated by our Heavenly Father as His children. We follow His example and become kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4 verse 32. When we see love and mercy on display in the world, we acknowledge and honor it. Not just because it's polite, but because of its divine source. Who would disagree that kindness is good? We all know that warm and welcoming feeling when someone treats us well. And while not everyone's easy to be kind to, let's reflect the light of God's love throughout our lives, one magic word at a time. So here's the big question. Is there someone that you've struggled to be kind to? So follow along with this guided study at biblegeeks.fm good, and may the Lord bless you and keep you today. Shalom. I will just say, since recording that episode, I have been much more polite to Alexa when I ask her questions. <laughs> 
Give Alexa some respect, really. No, that's so yeah. important. If there's nothing else you take from this episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the big idea we talked about there is that God teaches us to appreciate kindness by pouring his unimaginable love and mercy into our lives. So we're planning a Disneyland trip for later this year. And we're really thinking about preparing both the kids and the adults to let go of expectations and have the right mindset. Because I'm sure you've seen kids, especially maybe even adults, losing their minds because, <laughs> you know, they want more. And they, you know, I wanted to do this. And it's, you know, and you, you're not at your best sometimes. I remember we saw Salma Hayek, the movie star there oh, years yeah. ago, and we felt so bad for her because her kids were literally falling on the asphalt, just whining and screaming wow. and just acting like little punks. And, you know, here they are in the happiest place on earth, quote unquote, because somebody cared enough to do that kindness for them, to take them there. But they weren't living in a way that gratefully passed that kindness on because they just expected, this is what life is. I, I should get what I want, you know, is what the picture, I don't know these kids, but that's what it looked like to me. Mm -hmm. And that's what we, we sometimes do. And I think one way to ensure you appreciate kindness is not to expect it as a given, to recognize that all kindness is a gift, including, of course, our creator's kindness and, and every other person who sends goodness our way. They are giving us something. You can't shrink kindness down into politeness. It's kind of like that be nice thing we were just talking about. Kindness, even in its smallest, most inconsequential forms, is greater than something we do to get along in society or, or to follow an unwritten code of common courtesy. It's just mercy and generosity can't be taken as a right. Mercy and generosity, real kindness, comes from somebody else looking at you and deciding to go out of their way for your good just because. And that's what, that's what God did for us is he chose to, to see us in a particular way that made him act in grace and love towards us. And that's something that we have to just prepare our minds to constantly notice yeah. and see. I am the recipient of undeserved kindness. And how can I not keep passing that on to others? Yeah, it's so much more than being nice and polite. And so that actually leads us to our big question, which really hits home for me and steps on a couple of toes. And that is, is there someone that you've struggled to be kind to? You know, Steve is a really hard person to be kind. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we always bring up Steve for some reason on the podcast, but I, I don't even know who Steve not is. Not a but, real Steve. Not yeah, a real yeah. Steve, but just the the proverbial Steve. But But for you and for me, we all have people who I'm sure we've had difficulty being kind to. Maybe it's because these people are short with us. Maybe they're unkind and difficult to deal with for us. Maybe it's just a kind of person who rubs us the wrong way in a, in a few different ways. But I was even thinking about this question from maybe a more personal standpoint. Maybe I'm struggling to be kind to myself. And I don't know, for me, there have been plenty of times where I have negative self-talk and I'm not graceful with myself. I don't show myself mercy. I expect a lot of myself. Maybe I don't just give myself a break in times where, you know, I have a lot of high expectations. And so even kindness toward myself is an important thing. But obviously, you know, when you see Steve in the hallway, you, you maybe it's hard to be kind to him too. So some things to work on, I'm sure. 
<laughs> I love that you brought that up. That's really something that can get passed right over, but it's why receiving and noticing and really trusting in God's kindness towards us is so important because if we have the kind of turbulence inside us of just feeling this this angst and this frustration and feeling like we're unloved and we're just angry, right? You can't give away what you don't have already. Oh yeah. You know, like like we we've, we've talked about before, never trust the naked man that offers to give you the shirt off his back. You know, if you're not <laughs> I bet that guy's name is Steve. Yeah, that guy is the worst. <laughs> you know, whenever we're filled with God's love though, then we can we can give that to others. We can reflect it. So Let's uh, change the tone here as we look to. I'm I'm really curious what your answer is going to be here. We're going to think about a fictional character. We'll get into some Bible characters later. But who's your favorite unkind fictional character, Brian? This is our icebreaker question for this conversation. I was thinking about a lot of different characters. And in our house right now, there has been somewhat of a storm brewing in that my daughter just scored the lead role for her school's production of Matilda, which means oh, she will be Matilda. That. Yeah, that Roald Dahl oh, book. Oh, man, that's awesome. Ne- yeah. The Netflix musical, like she is just singing all the songs and memorizing her lines. It's like a big thing in our house right now. But of course, I wind up having to see that movie quite a lot, <laughs> the Netflix musical. And so there's Miss Trunchbull, and she is just the meanest of all characters. And I couldn't think of anyone who makes me laugh more, but who is so terrible to people. She hates kids. (laughs) And there's one scene where she grabs a girl by her ponytails and spins her around and throws her out of the school over the wall. Just a terrible, terrible person. Yeah, she kind of makes me laugh, but she's really not very nice. Yeah, not not a picture of kindness there. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. I... Yeah, I think I've got one to rival. It sounds, sounds, uh, I mean, I was just thinking about all of these villains are actually kind of fun to watch. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so are those like anti heroes, like that are, you'd think they're a villain, but then they turn out they're pretty great or they're at least on the right side. I was thinking of Snape, but I think I'll go with this greedy little runt from The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books. Uh, Gollum. You remember Gollum who mm-hmm. has his precious, his ring, and he's just so addicted to that thing. But as you watch him on the movies, or especially, I loved the book The Hobbit, as you read about him, you just have this kind of soft spot for the, <laughs> the little guy because he's he's so at the mercy of his addiction. And I think maybe I I can see sort of a I don't know, like I related maybe a little bit to just how he just got sucked into what he wanted. You know, sometimes <laughs> what I want gets to have too much power in my life, especially in, in my youth. Anyway, so I, I'm going to go with Gollum, not the nicest guy. He's, he's a trickster and he's a greedy little guy, but I think he's my, my favorite unkind fictional character. I like it a lot. So let's get into some serious stories where we will begin in our first segment here, which is finding Jesus. We are going to go back to a place where it's not a story about Jesus. In fact, it's way back in the Old Testament. It's a story about David, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to find Jesus in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And this is the story of how David shows great kindness to this man named Mephibosheth. 
There's a lot of backstory here. And of course, you'll remember that David's, one of his best friends, really his best friend, Jonathan, he made a promise to him and they had a really tight bond. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. When they finally have to split ways and go off in their separate directions, you see later on, way, way, way down in the, in the future, that David finally makes good on this promise to do wonderful things toward Jonathan's offspring. And so Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son, and this is such a cool story of David showing him kindness, where actually there could have been beef between them. There could have been a real difficulty and strife going on here. So this story is an amazing story about kindness and how David shows this man honor. But where do we find Jesus here? Yeah, I think it's a beautiful place to find Jesus when I realize that I'm Mephibosheth. (laughs) I'm the weak, lame outcast who should have been seen as the enemy of my king. It was a common practice of the time that whenever you take over the throne, you kill off everyone in the line of that king. King Saul's son was Jonathan, and Jonathan's son was Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth is the rival heir to the throne to David. I know that's an awful practice and an awful thing to think about, but this is someone who could have been seen that way as an enemy. And that's probably how Mephibosheth was thinking of himself as he's being hidden. But he was brought in and he ate at the king's table and he was blessed. And here I am eating at the king's table, seated in an undeserved place of honor dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, as the 23rd Psalm beautifully says. Sometimes people cynically say, you know, it's all about who you know. Well, just as David showed kindness, not because David knew Mephibosheth, but he says in chapter 9, verse 7, for the sake of Jonathan, who showed such faithfulness to David, why do I find God's favor? Why am I welcomed into the house of God at the table of the Lord? Because of Jesus, who was faithful always for the sake of the one who I have come into. And in Christ, I receive all of these blessings through what Jesus did for me. It's, a, it's such a beautiful picture. And isn't that so cool that we see how David is just remembering that promise that he made to Jonathan and that he's just looking for an opportunity, like he's searching for it. It's not like, oh, you know, I put that on my to-do list and like, you know, maybe I'll get to that someday. It's like, no, David now has an opportunity to do some amazing things for Jonathan, and he's got to go find him. He's got to go look for this man. And obviously, yeah, he's hiding. And so once he does find him, what, a, what an amazing story about how he just does all of this work to make Mephibosheth a whole person again, to really bless him and take care of him and let him eat at his table. And even to the point where he, he takes care of his needs by putting Saul's previous servant in place to really just take care of him and all of his sons are going to take care of Mephibosheth and just look over every every need that he has. You know, I see here Jesus in the way that he looked to tax collectors and sinners. Mm. You know, how Jesus made such an effort to not just like casually glance by into the lives of people who were broken like this, but like how he really just inserted himself into their lives and made himself a force of change for them. 
and how much that really did change their lives, how much it changed the life of a tax collector who was just an anathema in the society in which they lived, or a, an adulterous woman, or, you know, all these people that Jesus talked to, even, you know, of course, the, the leprous and the sick and the diseased, like how he really focused on them. What a kindness that he showed these people. And I see how Jesus is looking everywhere for these opportunities. And we see David doing the same thing. David has to make good on a promise. And so he's not just going to let that go by until he actually finds this young man and basically changes his life. Yeah, it makes you think of the the second round of invitations in that parable of Jesus. Like, no, bring everybody in. I want everybody that wouldn't have ever been invited to show up at my feast because this is the kind of party I want to have. You and know? that's exactly what I was thinking about here. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. We've been rejected. There's been all kinds of things that have happened, but hey, there are still people who will accept me. And so, of course, Mephibosheth really needs this kindness. And so, I, I don't know, for even me, like thinking about like, there are probably people around who I just look past and I maybe never even think about or consider who really need something from me or who really need me to step in and sort of wake up to my opportunities to help them. And there's probably people like that who maybe it's not some big grand gesture, but like even just a small kindness that I can offer to someone and a small grace, some some small blessing that I can give for someone's life. And really, maybe that's just an opportunity that we all have every day that we might just look by. It makes me think a little bit of those those ads, the the He Gets Us ads. Oh, yeah. That have started yeah, yeah, showing yeah. up all over the place. Yeah. I keep waiting to, you know, there's a cynic in me that keeps waiting to like, oh, I can't believe they went there. But every time it gets me, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's so true. He gets it's us. because every time he gets you. <laughs> oh, oh, there it is. There it, it is. Yep, yep. <laughs> all right. So let's get on to our second segment here on the episode. And that is Here's the Story. Here's the story. Okay, so not a man named Brady, but we are going to go to a man named Nabal, who literally <laughs> is just a terrible person. This isn't really his story, though. The kindness here in this story is, of course, from Abigail, his wife. Abigail is the kindest person, especially in comparison to Nabal, who was just really probably the least kind person you can read about in lots of stories in the Old Testament. <laughs> yeah, the contrast is striking here. So the story starts out, the first verse of the chapter introduces how Samuel just died and Israel's in transition, but we find David here still an anointed outlaw. He's been anointed as king, but he's being chased by the government. He's wandering with his band of mighty men through the desert. Such a cool setting. I mean, this is like the stuff of great movies, really. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. he's looking around He's finding food for his crew wherever he can. David is such a striking figure. But like you said, then we're introduced to someone who is even more striking in how she deftly handles all of this. So the inspired writer artfully introduces another character, calling him just a man and then saying the man was very rich. And then he drops the hammer. The name of the man was Fool. <laughs> well, it says now the man, the name of the man was Nabal, which means foolishness. And so if you're reading this in Hebrew, that's how you're reading it. And the name of his wife, Abigail, which means my father is joy. And then we learn again before the story even starts what all this stuff that's about to happen will leave no doubt about 
The woman, it says in verse 3, was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. She's (laughs) as smart and good as he is awful. They're a mismatch in every way. And then the other bit that the intro gives us to set the stage is that it's shearing season, which was normally a time of feasting, celebrating with neighbors. And so that's the setup. So what did David decide to do? Well, of course, like you said, he's running around the wilderness with his band of men. And of course, they need some food. I mean, this is probably a, a scenario that they've been trying to work out for a while as they've been traveling. Like, how are we going to eat out here? This is not a scenario where <laughs> where we're just naturally going to you know roll across the McDonald's. Or By the way, I'm recording this episode right now from Barstow, California in a hotel room. And as I look out my window, I see about 17 fast food restaurants. This city is the fast food <laughs> capital of California, I think. But clearly, as David was roaming around with his men, there was not a Barstow, California nearby. And so... He's got to find a place where he can get some food. And so, of course, he sees this man. But David, I don't think, knows yet who Nabal is and what's going to happen. So as they journey through the wilderness, they see Nabal off. He's shearing his sheep like you talked about. This process of of shearing the sheep was apparently so loud, or I don't know what was happening, but like apparently David could hear this from pretty far away. So they knew what was going to happen. So David sends 10 of his men down. And the conversation that they have, I think, is a really sincere and genuine conversation because he sends his 10 men down and they offer him shalom three times. They offer him peace, peace to him, peace to his house, and peace to his stuff. They make a sincere point of saying, like, we wish you peace in everything. And so they mention the good work that they've been doing for Nabal in protecting his business, the sheep shears that they've been watching over. Apparently, David's mighty men have been protecting them and making sure that nothing happens to them, nothing bad happens to them. They've been a a wall, as he's going to talk about later on, to them and to their people. And so with all the good things that they present to Nabal and say, hey, we've, we've been really helping you out and we've been providing you this service, then they say, ask around to your men and they will tell you what an amazing service we've been offering and the help that we've been providing. And so, you know, the shoe drops here and they ask for the food. They ask for the food, especially because it's a feast day. And hey, can you provide us with some food? We're out here and we need that. I don't know. In sort of hearing the 10 men's question of Nabal, it might sound like a whole bunch of thugs trying to leverage their quote unquote protection into some kind of a reward. Like this is a mob neighborhood. uh, Exactly. (laughs) But I don't think that's what David is doing. I don't think David is sort of threatening Nabal, or there's this tense interaction going on there. I think David is being sincere here. I think you're right. I think David's trying to be gracious. He's a king in exile, so he's going to want to build favor with his future people. But also, I think he's just trying to do what he can to keep his dignity and feed his men with the cards he was dealt. But Nabal says... Who who that? I don't know you. <laughs> who, who's David? I don't know. Uh, who, who is this guy? And when I hear Nabal's words, I feel like I know this guy. I, he sounds like not the best people, but people I have known in my life. He says, why should I take my stuff and give it to men from I don't even know where? He also insinuates that David is some runaway slave. And, and all of this gets back to David, and it's a step too far. He says, 
every man strap on his sword. And 400 armed, hungry, angry men stomp towards Nabal's camp. I just imagine that horde rising over the horizon. And this is what Nabal and all of his poor servants and, of course, his wife get to see and know is coming towards them. Yeah, you definitely don't want to deal with 400 hangry men. I mean, that's definitely not something you want to <laughs> encounter, especially when it's sheep shearing season and it's time to party. But uh, yeah, we get into here the next part of the story where one of Nabal's men apparently is thoughtful enough and knows his master enough to go talk to the boss. And that would be Abigail, <laughs> realizing that she has some sense and that she has some influence, he goes to Abigail and says, you'll never guess what your husband just did. Although, you know, I mean, sincerely, he has to <laughs> what know did he do this time? <laughs> that Abigail knows Nabal, and Abigail is not going to be surprised. I'm sure she already knows what's going to happen or what this story is going to sound like, but it's so cool here that one of Nabal's men actually portrays David as an upstanding and good man and how the interaction that he had and the presentation that they offered Nabal was upstanding, it was good. And so he even calls David a wall of protection. You know, this is clearly something that Nabal, if Nabal would have just been open-minded enough to ask his own men, his own men were clearly able to say like, yeah, David's legit. <laughs> Listen to David, be kind to David. But obviously Nabal wouldn't ask anyone else's opinion. And so... Clearly, now this man has to go talk to Abigail and convince her, but he's not going to budge. And everyone knows that. And so they are all now in danger of David and his 400 hangry men's wrath. And so the real problem here from the mouth of one of his servants is that he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. I mean, if there's anyone that I've struggled to be kind to, this would be the kind of person that I would struggle to be kind yeah. to. I mean, clearly David is not going to have this. Why Abigail is married to Nabal, I have no idea. She's probably the only person with sense enough uh, and influence enough to do something to fix this situation. And so she takes action. Yeah, she does. She drops down from her donkey all the way to the ground, face down before David. And she owns everything as if she's the guilty one. It's this brilliant de-escalation of the situation. She brings her humility. She takes responsibility. She's expressing the rightness of David's indignation. There's so much power. Everybody loves to hear those words. You're right. She doesn't say that, <laughs> but she says, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Now, that's her husband. <laughs> yeah. That's also the man whose life she's saving at that moment. So, right. you know, don't be too hard on Abigail. She is saying these things, which are very true to David. And in doing so, she, she has a greater purpose. She is working to save all of these people and to eliminate this bloodshed and be a peacemaker. And so she suggests that it's God's providence that has kept him from blood guilt. Of course, it's God's providence that brought Abigail into this situation. <laughs> and so she's, she calls on Yahweh and says, God, the Lord is the one who is doing these things. And, and with a gift for his servants, with a plea for forgiveness, with a blessing, 
she endears herself to David and she acknowledges him as the rightful prince over Israel. I mean, this is the textbook response that you should give in trying to please someone's case and trying to help somebody move past some anger that they've had. David, as we know, David is not like the most even-handed, even-keeled, just sort of easy to overcome this kind of fierce, raging anger kind of person. Like when he gets mad and hot-tempered, me, it's gonna, it's gonna end pretty badly sometimes. And you know, especially <laughs> here, Abigail and the way that she deals with this, I love that that idea that she sort of is playing to David's strengths and almost saying like, "Yes, you're right." <laughs> Just acknowledging, yeah. like, you have a valid point, David. And so, uh, obviously, David, as, as with so many opportunities here, David is going to see her and just be over the moon with Abigail. Like, why wouldn't he be? Of course. You know, she is clearly just doing all the things and being kind to him in all the ways that Nabal never was. She's a special but, lady. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. He and sees so, it right away. Yeah. He says, blessed be God who sent you. Okay, well, clearly, thank thank the Lord for bringing you here. Blessed be you. And he says, blessed be your discretion. You know, he offered three shaloms to Nabal, but like these three blessings that he gives to Abigail are way more deserved than any of the, mm-hmm. of the peace that he had offered Nabal. And so she stayed David's hand and she made him think about what he was going to do. If, if there are some act of kindness and grace and mercy that you can offer to somebody, you know, in a, in a way like this that would help them be a better person and make good decisions in a way that wasn't like condescending or talking down to them or like browbeating them into doing something. Like Abigail influenced the king in a big way and she did so with discernment and respect and just such a great example. But of course the story isn't over. I mean, obviously here there's this deepening of this relationship happening, and David is super appreciative of her. But of course, Abigail comes home, and what is Nabal doing? Oh, he's already having a feast of his own. <laughs> he's having a big old party. He just thinks everything is great. He's acting himself like a king. He's just gotten done dealing with David, and David purporting himself <laughs> to be this important person. Obviously, I think he's a little bit jealous. And so he goes home, and he's just acting so important and pompous. And he's drunk. And so in the morning, she waits and she talks to her husband, Nabal, and her kindness literally killed him. <laughs> like, it says that in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things and his heart died within him and he became as a stone. And then in about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. It was just too much for him to handle. And so talk about heaping coals on someone's head by, by acting kindly toward them. That's pretty much exactly what Abigail does to Nabal here. Yeah, I, I love the point you make about him feasting like a king too. And, and as he's leaving the true king of Israel to starve. And this is kind of like the counterpoint to that episode on celebration that we had as <laughs> Nabal's heart was merry within oh, him. Oh, yeah, for sure. He was very drunk and, he, you know, oh, isn't it good to be merry? Isn't that all great? Yeah, not this this ignorant, foolish, inebriated merriment that's happening. That's not a blessing. That's not a gift or a good thing to celebrate. Instead, the discretion and wisdom that Abigail shows 
is really is really a game changer. I also really like what you said about how Abigail's kindness elevated David. And and isn't that interesting how kindness can make other people a better person? You yeah. know, you see here Nabal causes the problem and David doesn't really fix it. He's just reacting. He's just kind of playing. He's 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 not doing something wrong, but he's not doing something really right either. He's just mm-hmm. kind of getting pushed back and forth by these two players. And good and bad are two keywords in this story. And so Abigail keeps doing good and Nabal keeps doing bad. But Abigail is not reacting. She is proactively turning this whole situation with her kindness. And it elevates kindness, I think, this story, to help us to see this blend of wisdom and pragmatism and humility and grace that Abigail carries so confidently. It's not, it's not just something, something that is like this easy act of goodness. It is, it is carefully thought through. It is aware of the situation. It is intentional act after intentional act in the face of danger even, and of, of real problems. But that's what kindness can do. It's so amazing here that like the boys just really make a mess of the whole thing. And, and <laughs> Abigail has to come in and like pick up the pieces. <laughs> typical. That's know, never typical. happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So I love this story and I love the contrast in this story, how you've got Nabal clearly who's being the opposite of his wife, Abigail, in pretty much every way. Everything that Nabal is, Abigail is not. And I connect unfortunately, with Nabal a little bit too often. And for me, oftentimes I see Abigail in my wife. You know, it's so easy sometimes to see how she is able to pick up the pieces of the mess that I make a lot of times. And it's just so amazing how influential a kind approach can have on a difficult situation. It's so awesome how you might think like the person has to go in there with gusto and command the situation to take it over and or the whole thing could be fixed by just a kind word or 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 a discerning approach or a thoughtful conversation sometimes it's hard to picture yourself having those kinds of conversations just showing kindness and being thoughtful in the way that she did can have a huge impact yeah it really can it it can be a big thing it could be a small thing but kindness really changes things i guess That leads us into our next segment pretty well, because that's about what we're going to talk about. So our reach out question in our third segment here on the episode is going to be, how has a kind response changed a tense situation for you? And you can take this wherever you want to go with it, but has there been a time where there's been a difficult conversation to be had or a difficult time that's been going on? that just a small kindness really helps smooth things over like this story of Abigail. Yeah, this is no Nabal and 400 men coming down on you, <laughs> but uh, a few small things thing, are. but t- tonight I, I gave Adrian a break and took the kids out to Cracker Barrel. And as our server was walking towards us, she fumbled her tray and a bunch of stuff tumbled down. And for a very long 20 seconds or so, the whole packed restaurant, me included, just looked at her and she seemed stunned and embarrassed. And then my daughter, Anna, walked over and got down on the floor 
and picked up a bowl. And setting it down, she gave her this look, like this reassuring look, like just a little subtle smile. And then she came back and she sat down. And I thought, you know, it was such a simple thing, but it was really cool. In this crowded restaurant, a 10-year-old wasn't too bashful to go and be kind. And what a, what a little thing kindness can be, picking up a bowl and a little reassuring look. But it just sort of changed the situation. I thought that was pretty neat. And that's one of those things, too, where, like, you don't have to be the CEO of a company to, like, make a big impact in that server's day. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have yeah, to yeah. You don't have to be some important person. You don't have to be a David or, you know, whatever, a, a Nabal or whoever it is. Like, you don't have to be some big person to make make that big of a difference. And I love that story. I, it When I read what you were writing here for your answer for this, it instantly made me think of my own story. So unfortunately, we're both going to be talking about our kids on this one. So, you know, I for me, it's not so much of a tense situation, but a situation that a lot of people are kind of uncomfortable with sometimes. My wife's grandpa is in an assisted living facility that's not super far away from my in-law's house. And so we go over there to visit him every now and again. And we bring Ashlyn along with us and we go to visit as often as we can. And she was over there at my in-law's house for the weekend this past weekend. As I was actually driving out here for, for a work trip, I get this photo on my phone that's her sitting down at a table with a whole bunch of other elderly people, and she was helping them all build Valentine's cards. And she was doing this whole big project, craft project with all of them, just for a little 11-year-old girl to sit down with a whole bunch of elderly folks and just do a fun thing with them. You know, I love that she loves spending time with her great-grandpa and just those opportunities that she has to, to be there and to just get to know them and spend more time with them while she can. And just such a sweet thought to think about how she loved to do that. And she she's the kind of person who just finds those opportunities and grabs onto them. Like, definitely, I know Anna and your kids are that way too. It's just, it's fun to see them settle into that kind of kindness that we know that they're capable of. And just watching them grab that bull by the horns is, is really cool. Yeah, it seems to come more naturally to them when they're like, like you're saying, going to a, a, an assisted living place, they really make everybody more comfortable, including me, you yeah. know, like, oh, yeah. it's just everybody's at ease because it's so they're so comfortable being loving and being happy. And it helps if they've sort of grown up like like Ashlyn has, like our kids have do it being in those kinds of places. It's not a big deal. I think the kids are a great way to see the power of kindness, because that's like the primary ethic of childhood dynamics, you know, is <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, we, we were nice. joking at the beginning about <laughs> be nice, but really being mean or being kind is really the whole thing at yeah. that age. Like that is the ethic we're really trying like to get over our selfishness, to get over our anger and whatever else that I wanted it this way, but also to see how just being nice to a little girl that's in the corner that doesn't have anybody to play with can really change change the whole thing. It doesn't really change much when you're older. It's the same thing in a lot of ways for us. Yeah. Little more complicated dynamics, a la Abigail and Nabal. But still, it's like, are we going to be that person who shows up with love for the people around us? And so let's move then into our challenge for the week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. And I think you have the challenge for us. 
Yeah. We're going to challenge you to be an undercover agent of kindness <laughs> for someone this week. I don't know why we worded it that way, but I like it. Be an undercover agent of kindness for somebody you know. In other words, be anonymous in your kindness. Just make it your mission, should you choose to accept it, to go and brighten somebody's day. Yeah, I think this is like a very don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing kind of challenge. Because yeah, I think exactly. even in kindness, it's easy for us to let the acknowledgement of a kind action overshadow the kind action itself. Like if somebody isn't saying thank you for the good thing that you've done, maybe that makes you question whether you should have done it in the first place or what whether you'll do it in the future. So maybe it's helpful to just be a little bit covert in our kindness in an effort not to toot my own horn, I won't talk about the things that I've done, but like I've had this happen to me where I'll be going up to pay the bill at a restaurant and it's already been paid by some anonymous random person in the restaurant. Or like I go up to the cashier to pay for my coffee and oh, the guy in front of me paid for it for me. Or, you know, things like that that yeah. have happened to me. Sticking a note on a mom's windshield at the grocery store who was like, struggling to wrangle her gaggle of children, thanking her for her hard work and what she's been doing. These like small yeah. cup of water kinds of things that can really make a difference in some someone's day. I mean, I think all these things are great opportunities for us to really just light up someone's day. Yeah, and we talked, I think, last week about gamifying things. <laughs> what, yeah. what is a f more fun game than being an undercover agent of kindness? So maybe we'll go from there into our closing prayer. And the prayer that we recommended in the study guide is, may we imitate your kind and tender heart. Of course, drawing from Ephesians 4.32 and chapter 5, verse 1, which says to imitate the Lord and his kindness and to be tender-hearted to one another. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, you have given us another day of undeserved blessings. We thank you. We praise you. We lift up our lives as an offering, and we just pray that you'd help us in our forgetfulness to keep all of these kindnesses close to the front of our minds. You have shown us that the most wholesome, healthy way to live is to find the joy in serving others and to stay close to you as we try to surrender ourselves, surrender to your will. We give glory to you, Father. You chose to adopt us. You made us your heirs and you deserve all the praise. We give glory to your son, our king, who gave and gave and, and keeps giving to us because of the greatness of his character and the fierceness of his love. We give glory to your spirit who enlivens and empowers us, who fills us with this living and active word. Father, we ask that through your gracious work in us, our small and self-serving attitudes would fall like scales from our eyes, and we'd see more clearly today the world of others. Give us opportunities, grow that goodness in us today and each day. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So next week is our 11th guided study session in this What's Good series. And in that episode, we're going to talk about honesty. And honestly, I think that's going to be a good conversation for us to have because <laughs> what a great virtue that the Lord has blessed us with in that the language he speaks to us is the language of honesty. He always tells the truth. 
God never lies. And so he wants us to adopt that same mindset. And so in order to help prepare for that conversation, we encourage you to read John chapter 8, verse 32, Proverbs 12, verse 22, and 1 Peter 3, verses 10 to 12. We're continuing this controversial series from kindness, which everyone opposes, to honesty, which is of the most controversial status in topics. But we are taking a stand. We are for honesty and against dishonesty. <laughs> Come as you will, takers. And uh, we we have we have really enjoyed, I think, being able to like not take on anything heavy that is going to be complicated. And just focus on these really important kind of grounding good things. And and, uh, so I'm looking forward to continuing that. It's so true. I mean, coming off the heels of a training wheel series talking about parenting, like, come at me, bro. We really want honesty, okay? (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode in your podcast player of choice or at BibleGeeks.fm slash 163. You can also find all the downloadable materials for this What's Good series on our website at biblegeeks.fm slash good. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.